Heavenly Father, thank you so much for calling us to be your children. And we praise your name this morning. Our Spirit, please empower me to preach not my words, but your words, that your body may be encouraged and built up. Amen. Take a seat, if you would. This sermon, I think one more next week, and that'll be it for this series. Are you angry about that? Yes, there you go. We've been talking about living an offense-free life. This is the fifth sermon in this section of, this, of our series. We've been looking at this, this verse right here. This is new. By the way, I didn't, I've gone through this series in the previous church, but not this living an offense-free life where I took you through these, these words here. This is new to you guys and new to, to me as well, things I've learned over the years. And obviously... Paul writes this to the Ephesians, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I'm going to talk about starting inside. In 2006, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, have you ever heard of him? Henry Cloud, called Boundaries other books. Well, he wrote a book called Integrity, The Courage to Meet the Demands of Reality. Let me say that again. He defines integrity as this, the courage to meet the demands of reality. Now, I always found this definition of reality or his definition of reality intriguing because, as I was talking to my mother-in-law last night, when most people think of integrity, they think of a person keeping their word or it's who you are when no one is looking, Right? But Dr. Cloud says that integrity is more than that. He says it's more than simple honesty. It's the key to success. A person with integrity has the often rare ability to pull everything together, to make it all happen no matter how challenging the circumstances. Now, this book, Integrity, The Courage to Meet the Demands of Reality, it's a book on leadership from a business perspective. Now, Dr. Cloud is a a strong Christian, and he shows how our character can keep us from achieving all we want or could be. Let me say that again. Your character, my character, can keep you and I from being all that we could be. Now, here's a story from another one of his books called Necessary Endings that underscores the essential role character plays in our lives. It's a conversation between a boss and an employee. It says, I witnessed the following conversation as my client was talking to his product manager. Kyle, I want to talk to you about the product launch. There were some issues, and I want to figure out what happened, Tony, the boss, said. Okay, let's do it. I got the numbers, and I know that it didn't get to where it was supposed to, Kyle replied. Well, right. So what do you think happened, Tony asked. Well, I just think marketing missed it. They had this whole emphasis for the local saturation, and I don't think 
That is where the real interest is, Kyle explained. Well, I talked to them, Tony said, and they said they were limited in the exposure they got because the coverage they wanted from the ads didn't happen. They said it conflicted with ads the television network had already sold before us. That couldn't have happened. Those guys at the network are idiots, Kyle said. What do you mean, Tony asked. Well, they're so unorganized, they always screw it up. When I talked to media, they told me that the date had not been reserved for ads because your final graphics hadn't been sent in time. And they said they had asked you for them weeks before and never got a reply, even after several requests, Tony said. Well, I doubt that's true, but it could be. I mean, IT has lost a lot of email lately, and it's possible that I never got it, he said. You see in a pattern here? But that isn't what concerns me, said Tony. This is not about IT or the network or the email. This product launch is your deal. If it works, it's because you made it work. If the TV network was not queued up to go in time, it seems like you would have been monitoring this to know that we had a problem. Then even if it were IT, you would have known it and been on top of it. As a result, you have really missed our number, and it's going to affect a lot. I need better than this. But I can't control the network. I made sure that media had put in the buy, and they should have known that it was not all nailed down. They shouldn't have seen this, he retorted. Or they should have seen this, he said. Well, Kyle, the boss, said, media reports to you in the chain. This is yours. Yeah, but I did my part with them. If they weren't there, I'd given them the, the time schedules. They should have caught it, he explained. Besides, that was the week that you pulled me over to work on your next year's catalog. I wasn't even here to be aware of what they were doing. At this point, I, Dr. Cloud, interrupted the conversation. I turned to Tony and asked him a very simple question. Tony, how are you feeling about this? Tony sighed and just said one word, hopeless. I can see why, Dr. Cloud said. It seems like the problem is never here in the room. Now, as a pastor, one of the things that I deal with uh, wherever I go, um, I see the same problem between this boss and the employee in marriages. A marriage is struggling, and what happens? The wife wants to bring healing to the marriage, so she drags the unwilling husband to what? Marriage counseling. Now, in the hit comedy sitcom, Everybody Loves Raymond, Ray and Deborone decide to go to counseling. There's only one problem. The real Ray never shows up. After the counseling session, Deborah tells the curious and concerned family back home what happened at the meeting. And when Ray's jealous brother says it's about time that a neutral party be brought in to set Ray straight on just how great he's got with you, Deborah, this is what Deborah says. That's not what happened. Because the Raymond we all know disappeared as soon as we got there. You were open and considerate and willing to look at your own faults. You made me sick. You're so full of it. 
listen, you manipulated the whole thing. How do you expect to make any progress if you go in there playing a character? And don't think the counselor liked you. She didn't like you because you weren't there. Now, these two stories illustrate my point. You cannot fix people who will not take feedback because from their perspective, they don't have a problem. You ever run anybody like that? Have you ever been that way with your spouse or somebody? See, in both stories, the employee and the husband, they didn't lack anything to change their lives. I mean, they had physical, emotional, intellectual resources. Yet change didn't happen. And the question is, why? Very simply, they lacked character. They did not have the courage to what? Meet the demands of reality. And that brings us to Ephesians 4. And the significance of of Paul's first words that we just read, they cannot be overstated. Because everything he wrote in the first three chapters of this letter to the Ephesians, it reaches its climax in chapter 4. That's why he begs us to daily conduct our lives worthy of our high calling. And how we daily live out our high calling begins with character. I've told you, humility, gentleness, patience, and we'll talk about forbearing love, they are all character. They're inner graces, they're they're traits. You can't study your way into that. You can't practice no spiritual disciplines. It's, it's, it all starts with who you are, with your character. And this is so important that we understand these five character traits in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, that for the first time I have taken a sermon to explain each one. And the first and foundational character trait is humility. And so it's so important that we get this that I have some questions for you. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says that with all humility, my question to you is this. What does with all humility mean? Total humility. Now, I'm not going to have anyone raise their hands, but if you didn't know that, we've gone over that every time when we start with humility in every sermon. Folks, you will never walk in total humility until you know these things just like that. Okay? There's a reason why Paul gives you theology before any ethics, or he gives you the knowledge before he tells you what to do. You're not going to know what to do if you first don't know. And so if you want to live out the life that God has called you, you want to be that supercharged Mustang Shelby, right? You don't want to be that Ford Fiesta you got to know these things. you got to know, with all humility means total humility. Next question. Total humility is characterized by what trait? Yeah, it's selflessness. It's the uh, elimination of self. Next question. What does gentleness mean?
Those are other words for it, meekness. It's not long-suffering, that's the word patience. It's power under control. Remember that? It's power under control. You have all this power available to you. You have this high position in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Okay? It's power under control. You're that tamed lion. You're not the untamed lion. Remember the, that analogy? So, does a gentle person defend themselves? You have all that power, do you defend yourself? This is hard, isn't it? They don't. Do you remember the story we used? Moses, David, No, because I don't. Self is eliminated. There's nothing to defend. See how they're connected? Humility, gentleness. Okay, do gentle people get angry then? We got that one down, don't we? We got that one down. Okay, yeah. But only when God's character is attacked. Because if self is removed, I'm not going to be angry. No matter what you do to me, it doesn't matter, right? Because in the end, I'm nothing. What matters is God. But when he is attacked, the lion in me will roar. Okay? What does patience mean, Judy? Long-suffering. Long-suffering, okay? See that? Question. What are the three traits of patience? <clears throat> Remember I didn't expect you to get these this last week. They endure negative circumstances. They take whatever people dish out and they accept God's plan without question. So if you know what humility means, what gentleness means, what patience means, okay, you're going to get to the next point, and that is that you are able to put up with somebody. And those of us that are married know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? Because the fourth character trait is love. With all humility, with gentleness, patience, forbearing one another in love. And this is the next logical progression. You'll see how it all fits together. In other words, what Paul is saying here, though, is if you go back to Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, it's not enough to be humble. It's not enough to be gentle or to meek. And it's not enough to just be patient or to suffer long. Okay? We must learn to love. We must learn to love through all the selflessness and meekness and taking what people dish out with all the personal insults, the slandering of your name or reputation, maybe even physical persecution. We learn to love through that. So let's look at forbearing love. Again, it's the Greek word for bearing means to put up with, to suffer with, to endure. It's something that Jesus modeled. And I like this verse we're going to look at because it's very relatable. Uh, the 12 disciples were certainly blessed. Well, how were they blessed? Well, they were privy to the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They had extra teaching from Jesus. They received uh, this direct teaching from him. They saw Jesus do things 
that we never would be privy to. Jesus modeled how to cast out a demon. He empowered the disciples to do the same, to heal people, to cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. He sent them out where they experienced success doing the same miracles he performed. There was nothing else more he could do for them. Yet they could not cure a boy with epilepsy. And this is what it says here. Look at this. Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I what? Put up with you. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Guess what? He is forbearing them. See, it's the idea of a forbearing love, of throwing a blanket over sin. In the Old Testament, it says this, hatred stirs up strife, but what does love do? It covers all sin. It's the same idea in the New Testament. Above all what? Keep fervor in your love for one another because love does what? That's a forbearing love. It, 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 think of it as a suppressor. You suppress with silence sin by our love for one another. By the way, I just threw this in here. This is why when someone is in sin, you go to them directly. <laughs> it says this. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Well, why? Why do that? Why? That's a question I'm asking. You need to answer why. Why do we go to a brother and sin privately, one-on-one? You want to contain the sin. You don't want it to spread. You don't want people to know. Do you want people to know your sins? No. You see? And if he listens to you, you won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, what happens? You tell everybody, right? Well, let's be honest with you. We know someone's in sin. We all, before confronting him, we sometimes talk to other people about it. No, 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 no. Now you've sinned. So when you go confront that person on sin, one-on-one, you need to confess your sin to them as well. Doesn't listen to you, two or three witnesses. If you refuse to listen to them, then you take it to the church. And the church leadership deals with it. If they won't repent of their sin, then it's made known. The person is excommunicated in hopes that they will be turned over to Satan, repent, and come back in fellowship. Okay? So that's a forbearing love. It suppresses with silence. It covers over sin. It endures and this is a love that is mentioned in Ephesians 3.17. Remember I said that you are strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit. Christ dwells in your heart through faith. Then you are rooted and grounded in what? Love. And that's the same word, love. And you can only get there to this kind of love through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, this love says this. Not only can I endure it, and take it from you, but I can love you in the middle of it. I want you to see what Paul is saying here. It's not enough to grit your teeth and take it. It is taking it and then loving them back. Because this is a love then that has room for failures. Have you ever been around somebody that it's okay to fail in front of them? 
Do you know how freeing that is? Now, as you may know, there are different Greek words for love. There are more than three, but the three most commonly known words for love are what? Phileo, agape, and eros. Okay? And this is the way that they're used. Eros, E-R-O-S, we'll get there, is love that gets. I love you because of what I can get from you. Okay? It's the drive that makes us want to get satisfaction. It's the world's kind of love. It's an erotic love. It's eros. Okay? Still, it's a love from God, but it is a love that gets. That's the key. There's filio. Of course, think of filio. What, what place do we think of? Philadelphia, the city of... What a contradiction in terms that place is. But it's love that gives and gets. It's love that says, I love you because of what I get from you and what I give to you. That's filio. It's the give and take of friendship. Now the world knows about this love too. The third word, of course, is agape. It's a love that gives. Period. No get, just give. So, here are the words for you. If you want a visual, you can see them. Eros, get, the world's kind of love. Filio, give and get. Again, the world knows this love. Agape, give. No get. It is not of this world. This love is not of this world. It has a different origin. It comes from a different source. Of course, agape, as you will probably already know, is whose love? It is God's love. It's a supernatural love. And guess what word is used here of a forbearing love in the Greek? It's agape. That's the word in Ephesians 4. It's the kind of love that can only think of the highest good of the other person, no matter the cost. Now, by implication, then, this love is what? It is selfless. If it's just giving, there is no self involved. It's God so seeking the highest good of us at any price that he gave his only begotten son. Remember that? For God so loved agape the world that he gave. He's giving. It is a love that gives and expects nothing in return. In God's case, just think of this. It is God giving with the full knowledge to the world that there is nothing of any value that anybody who ever existed in past, present, or future can give back to him. There's no value you can give back to him. And he knows that. And yet he still chooses to love. It is giving. It is not getting. It is totally selfless. And we see this love mentioned later on in the Gospel of John. In John 15, 13, it says this. And you know this verse. Greater love has no one than this. 
lay down his life for his friends. It's a greater love. It's a greater concern for the highest good of another person to the point that you're even willing to pay the ultimate price, which is what? Lay down your life for them. So you see, it's the, it's the obliteration of self. It is selfless. Now, what else did I say is marked by selflessness? We just went over this. Humility. So you see how these all are kind of connected? See, agape love, this type of love, thinks this way. It says, no matter what anybody does to me, I'll never seek revenge. No matter what anybody does to me, I'll accept it. No matter what anybody does to me, I'll love them in the middle of it because my kind of love only gives. I love with an unconquerable love and an invincible goodness. Now that's the love that the world needs. And perhaps the greatest illustration of forbearing love is here. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 5, 43 to 48. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise in the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Loving your enemies. You see that phrase there in those, those verses there. Do you know what that means? You are seeking your enemy's highest good, no matter what it costs you. Well, how? Well, you bless them that curse you. You do good to those that hate you. You pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Well, why? Why do I do that? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Because what does he do every day? He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Yes, it means it rained in Don Croissant's place last night. You do that, you love that way because that's what he does. And you are his son or his daughter, and that's what you do. The one who hates him, the one who hates God, God loves. The one who curses God, God loves. The one who persecutes God, God loves. Now, you're a son or daughter, so you do the same, because that's the standard. Look at verses 46 and 47. He exposes the substandard, subpar standards of the world. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? That's not a high standard is what he's saying there. What is his standard? His standard is perfection. See that? You are to be what? 
perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And how is God's perfection manifested? He says it right here in this verse. By loving his enemies. See, he loves the unlovable no matter what they do to him. And if you want to see God's perfection manifested, just look to Jesus hanging on a cross, loving the people, spitting on him. Look to Stephen lying beneath the rocks as they crush the life out of his body and he gazes up to heaven and says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. His love and our love is that forbearing. It accepts anything and it returns only love. In Ephesians 4, Paul is saying to us very clearly, urgently walk worthy. And it all begins where? Inside of you. It's a, it's, it's, it's a character trait. It begins inside of you with this commitment to be humble and gentle and patient and loving. You love with the kind of love that seeks somebody else's good no matter what they do to you. And when they sin, you just throw a blanket over their shortcomings. You suppress their sin with silence. And you do this because your love has room for failures. So you want to practically put this into use, but what do you do? Well, the first thing is you have to know. And now you know what the first four character traits are. The very first four things Paul tells you to do. He doesn't tell you to go study your Bible. He doesn't tell you to go fast or to pray or to fellowship or to give. What does he tell you to do? Walk with humility, gentleness, patience, and a forbearing love. Those are inner graces. Those are characteristics. It's, it's, it's who you are. It is what is produced in you by the Holy Spirit. And that only is produced in you as you yield to him moment by moment. And then when the opportunity comes and you're offended or you're in some sort of conflict, what do you do? You make the choice, and it is a choice, because it's not going to be in your nature to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to, to practice the forbearing love. No, no, no. But you know that, first of all, you know it, you have it, and then you make that choice, knowing that what will lie ahead for you most likely. Well, yeah, but pain. You're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to endure. You're going to have to take the insult. And taking it, and you can't grit yourself through it, if you know it, it's not enough to grit through it. What do you have to do? You go on the offensive. And you go on the offensive by loving, by praying for that person, by doing something kind for that person, for your very enemy. It would also mean that you forgive them. Because when, if you're going to walk the worthy walk with all humility, with total humility, the elimination of self, 
if you're all the power you have, you know, that, that meekness, that gentleness, you only choose to defend God and not yourself. You just meekly walk with God and you're patient with people and you're forbearing with them. Tell me, how is that person easily offended? They are not. And the result will be the last character trait next week. Unity. See that? And you endeavor to maintain the unity that you can just, it's an illusion to think you can create unity. You can't. That's why it says endeavoring to maintain. Who creates the unity? God did already. You're simply trying to maintain it, which is why God gave the church the ability to excommunicate members. Because what does division in the church create? Dis unity so you remove that from the church so his church will be unified right so you have to know these things and so now you know and you'll be accountable to walk in all humility gentleness patience and the forbearing love and it's for the purpose, by the way, and we'll get this next week, that the world may see that we are different and glorify God by our unity. And so this should be an offense-free zone. And I know that it's not easy, but that's God's standard. And so, I'm going to ask you to do this in order to know. I want you to do this. You're going to have to commit it to memory. So I want you to... Does it work? Oh, one more. The application point. There we go. Memorize the three aspects of patience. Okay? Start to get that down. Any questions? All right, stand with me if you would. Okay. While you're writing that down, let me tell you a story about this real briefly. I don't know if I could told you this or not. Um, well, in 1996, we were on a summer project with Campus Crusade for Christ, and we would, we're in Ocean City, New Jersey, my wife and I, and I was in charge of the, the six weeks I was there, the, the men's night. It was, it was a big event, and we had these things that we would take the, just the men through, and it was a separate women's night. So there was about 45 to 50 students with me, with us as a staff, and we had these obstacle course and things that they would, they would go through that would, uh, you know, challenge them and so on. There's a little bit of a talk at the end and so on. But one of the things I added was I added a, a thing to test their endurance. I took them through some plyometric training. In other words, I had them line up in, in like four or five different lines. And in sand, which is very difficult, they had to hop on one leg down like 20 or 30 yards and then a different leg back. They would do what we call froggies where they would get down like this okay? They have to jump up and kick their heels and move forward and do that. I was just trying to test their physical endurance, and they were gassed. 
And then I got through part of the workout before the, the head director of, this, of the project said, that's enough. But the lesson that the kids learned, that these boys learned, the number one overriding lesson they learned wasn't what they were taught. It was the fact that they had to persevere and dig deeper and push through the physical endurance that I had taken them through. And that's really what patience is. You, are, you can endure the negative circumstances. You can take what people dish out and you don't question God. You're a person of, of grit. You can take it. And you can take it because of who lives inside you. The Holy Spirit. So you can be patient when your wife talks during the television show. That is like, oh, it kills me. I think they can see that the steam coming off my head. My wife just comes in and starts talking. I'm just, I want to say, like, this is on. This is no talking zone, okay? Don't talk. And the other thing you can do is just get out of my way when I'm driving. It's my road. Just get out of the way, right? Okay? There we go. Get an amen from the congregation that one. Let's pray. Fuzz, we stand, and as we worship this last song, thank you for your word to us this morning. And again, we pray that, that Jesus Christ would be formed in our character in a more clear and perfect and pristine way. That when others see us, they see your son. And that we would be different. Amen. Stand and let's sing this last song.